All right, guys, welcome in to the Flag Hunting Podcast, uh, golf edition here on the second week of October and the third event of the fall swing, I think. Second, third, third. Okay. Um, and yeah, this is actually an interesting week for the two Flag Hunting Podcasts this week because both events are in Las Vegas, Nevada. So pretty cool week, a week that I know that me and Ian had circled for uh potentially going but i think that may be changing so unfortunately not um but uh yeah pretty cool week in and we are off to tbc summerlin uh which i know is a course that um maybe not the most intricate but i'm pretty sure it's a course that you you tend to like uh it's a really cool event here at the shiner's children's open um cool charity and then obviously this is the i just read up real quick this is actually the location or the location and tournament Actually, I don't know if it's location. I'm gonna make that up. But it's the tournament where Tiger Woods got his first ever win. So pretty yep. cool, pretty cool event here. Yeah. A um a spot of triumphs and heartbreaks for me personally is a better. Um it's it's a tournament that I think has had some really, despite the fact that it's not maybe the most um prestigious event on the PGA tour, it's had some really memorable finishes. You mentioned Tiger uh winning back here and a Jonathan Bird back in 2014 won this tournament with a hole in one on the first playoff hole. Uh we've had some Pretty sick finishes down the stretch. A uh, few playoffs that have kind of went uh, for and against us at at certain points. But um, uh, but yeah, I would say it's a, it's a good spot to kind of maybe level things out. The first three weeks of the 2024 season, uh, not very good on the call side of things. Uh, went over at the Fortinet, had a bit of a sweat there with Eric Cole maybe on the back nine before he made a couple of bogeys, and then disaster at the Ryder Cup. We didn't record last week uh, to kind of recap that, but. Uh, yeah, definitely on the wrong side of the Ryder Cup. I thought maybe our props could have uh, maybe deserved a bit better, but all in all, disastrous week in Rome for on multiple fronts for uh, for us and the U.S. team. And then last week at uh, Sanderson, I just <laughs> I just remember thinking the entire week, like, good lord, like Vegas must love the Sanderson Farms because it's just it's just such a crapshoot. Um, I mean, I, I feel like the top seven or eight guys, you just kind of had to gain six or seven, eight strokes putting to even contend uh, last week. And it looked like for a second there, Ben Griffin was going to be able to kind of just run away with it. He ends up going on a really bad stretch in the back nine, kind of typical Ben Griffin, typical swing season. Ended up in a five-man playoff. Um, our guy Troy Merritt misses the cut or misses the playoff by two. Our boy Adam Svensson came into the day at 14 under, so he just had to shoot 68 to get into the playoff uh, and shoot 70, 74, I think, uh, to kind of finish in the T16. So just one of those weeks where – you know, I feel like you just kind of had to have the hot putters. And I think through two weeks, at least uh, full field events, uh, have not been able to find the guy that can make the clutch putts uh, on the weekend to kind of propel himself into contention. So was it was it triggering to see uh, Luke Liss hit a 42 footer to win the tournament? <laughs> not just 42 footer to win the tournament, but I mean, Luke Liss legit. I mean, he was certainly on my short list because like you think of uh, CTA Jackson, you think of the success that we've seen a lot of bombers have through there. I mean, Luke List came runner up there before he was, you know, one of the better ball strikers long-term in that field. Um, gains just 2.1 shots ball striking between off the tee and approach gains 9.5 between around the greens and putting. So it's just like the amount of times we bet Luke list or, you know, um, I've sweated Luke list and DraftKings and whatnot, and he can't make a four foot putt. Uh, he made them all this week. So congrats to those that had Luke list. I know a couple guys in the community that I know had him. Uh, but yeah, that was a little bit of the twilight zone watching Luke list, just whole clutch plus down the stretch. Funnily enough, we've, uh, we've coming or, I mean, since the inception of this podcast, we've seen two, two Luke list wins have been on neither of them. Um, which if you know me is a little bit tilting, but, um, happy for Luke. It's, you know, it's, um, it's, it's a good story either way. He's still one of the great guys on the PJ tour. I just, um, you know, if he's going to rely on making or gaining six strokes putting in a given event to win. Probably not going to be on him. So, um, okay, yeah. So, bring, moving on to TBC Summerlin. Again, it's been a pretty brutal stretch to start the year um, on the golf side of things. Luckily, we kind of had that BMW in to, um, to propel us into 2024, so it's not been like a complete drought over the last few months. Um, but TBC Summerlin has been notably very good for the Fly Cutting Podcast. Two years. Uh, this is the third year we've been talking – we'll be talking about uh, the Shriners Open, Shriners Children's Hospital Open. Uh, First two years, 2021, we hit Sung JM at 25 to 1, I believe, live. And then last year, we hit Tom Kim, of course, at uh, 25 to 1 or 28 to 1 as well. So we're two for two at TBC Summerlin. This is a golf course that I feel like 
doesn't present a lot of nuance in terms of the handicap. It's kind of right there out in front of you, uh, which is kind of the case for most of these swing season events. And um, I think as we progress through the fall swing, um, I'm going to start to be a little bit less um, verbose in my descriptions of these golf courses, because frankly, as a content creator, it's not that I don't like these golf courses. It's not that I'm not excited for golf to be on TV for us to bet on it. But frankly, like when I'm writing or, you know, creating the show sheets for these things, it's, uh, it's kind of just, uh, at least taxing to just talk about the same things over and over and over again because all these, like, ho -ho. All these yeah, all these golf courses are you know going to be one at 22, 23, 24 under, maybe a little bit less depending on the strength of field, ton of wedges, um, you know, not a lot of penalty off the tee. So that's been kind of a big hiccup for me personally in my like my content creation journey is having to kind of figure out how to reword the same like thousand word, 2000 word article uh, week in, week out. But I do think someone is a little bit more nuanced than say uh, Jackson or Silverado the past two years. Um, par 71, just the, just the quick basics real quick. TBC Summerlin just outside Las Vegas, Nevada uh, tips out at about 7,255 yards as a par 71. Um, again, it's kind of a desert parkland hybrid here in Vegas. Uh, some desert area lurking just off the fairways, but still, Plenty of buffer within the grounds. Um, excuse me. Uh, Bermuda grass fairways and rough bent grass greens. You look at some of the past champions here through the years. Of course, we just mentioned the back-to-back -back Koreans winning in 2022 and 2021. Tom Kim and Sung Jae both won a 24 under. Tom Kim beat Patrick Cantley and Matthew Neesmith um, in that event by three. Sung Jae beat Matthew Wolf by, I think, two or three as well. 2020, uh, Martin Laird won this event at 23 under in a playoff over Matthew Wolf and Austin Cook. I had Matthew Wolf that year. Uh, that was a pretty sick one. Uh, Kevin Na on here in 2019 at 23 under. Uh, he gained 14.2 strokes putting, which before Cantley's uh, BMW win over Bryson a couple years back was the um, best putting week of all time in the strokes gain era. Here, right here at TBC Summerlin, he won at 23 under. Um, that was a second title in. Uh, 10 years, or I guess eight years. He won here again in 2011. Uh, but Kevin Nall won at 23 under in a playoff over Patrick Cantley. Uh, Bryson DeChambeau won in 2018, once again, over Patrick Cantley. 2017, Patrick Cantley wins at minus nine. 2016, Rob Pamphling. 2015, Smiley Kaufman. Uh, so this is the last eight champions of this event. As you will notice, Patrick Cantley has finished either first or second in four of, or one, two, yeah, four of the last six events, um, which is... Uh, which, yeah, typically when you handicap this event, Patrick Antley's sitting there at like five to one, and we have to make the we have to, you know, do the whole song and dance about how he's probably going to be first or second, but we're not going to bet him at five to one. Not the case this year, uh, as the highest rated or the highest ranked player in the field is Tom Kim, currently 16th in the OWGR, and uh, not a lot else behind him, really. If we uh, if we talk about the the grand scheme of world golf, it's a pretty lackluster field for for TBC Summerlin. Um, but move on into the golf course real quick. Um, as you notice with some of the past champions, right, guys like Tom Kim, Sung Jae, Martin Laird, and Kevin Na being the last four, not a lot of prolific drivers have won here. Now, now not not bad drivers of the golf ball, but not exactly like your bombers, like a Luke List, Sam Burns, Cameron Champ, like we saw last week at, at the Country Club of Jackson, right? So over the, over the first two weeks of the fall swing, we've seen venues that I think favor bombers quite heavily. I think Summerlin plays a little bit towards the opposite. Summerlin sets up a bit more like a short – southeastern kind of florida course or maybe just like a harbor town in that way where if you are able to kind of avoid the trouble off the uh off the fairway you're gonna you're gonna receive a sizable leg up compared to a place like jackson or napa where the rough penalty the miss ferry penalty is quite low um and here in here at tbc summerlin even though the fairways are quite wide here at 34 yards wide on average um the penalty for wayward tee shots is pretty ramped up as well uh, TBC Summerlin ranked sixth last year in terms of missed fairway penalty. It ranked fourth in rough penalty. Um, and then, of course, being in the desert, we've seen this with places like TBC Scottsdale, the Summit Club, um, the Amex to a lesser degree. Um, you know, these desert courses, if you start missing super wayward off the tee, you're pretty much just, just in for a crapshoot with, you know, native desert area, boulders, cacti, whatever. So uh, these guys that tend to just kind of attempt to bomb and gouge golf courses. I don't anticipate them having as much success here as they would at a place like Jackson or Napa um, in comparison. So for me, in terms of driving and in general, driving is quite a bit uh, lower on my kind of, in my modeling, my modeling weighting um, when, when compared to the first two events we've had, 
in the fall swing, but I'm much more inclined to kind of select reliable drivers of the golf ball who can effectively avoid the danger uh, off these fairways here. Every, every champion here since 2012 has ranked above field average in driving accuracy, average rank of 12.36, and only Patrick Cantley has ranked inside the top 10 in driving distance as a champion in that time. Um, TBC, TBC Summerlin also happens to rank as the second easiest course to gain strokes off the tee, so I don't really believe you have to be an elite driver of the ball to find success here, but you know some sort of documented reliability on similarly penal golf courses would be appreciated. Um, onto, the, onto the green complexes, uh, which are over 7,400 square feet on average, uh, which are the fifth largest on the PGA Tour. In addition, um, the wider fairways and the increased driving distance from elevation plus firm and fast conditions, which I kind of neglected to mention in the driving session, but we are playing at 3,000 feet of elevation, which is the second um, highest, I guess, golf course in terms of sea level on the PGA Tour, sitting just behind Reno, uh, where the Barracuda Championship is held. But uh, yeah, 3,000 feet of elevation, desert golf means balls are going to run quite a bit on the ground as, as opposed to a Napa Valley or St- or Jackson. Um, so these all these factors that converge into higher driving distance also mean that you know it decreases the projected proximity ranges that we're going to see on the second shot. Uh, so TPC Summerlin is just every bit as much of a wedge or short iron cloth. Uh, short iron courses we've seen the last couple weeks. Uh, 63% of historical approach shots have come from inside 175 yards. And with this many short irons and wedges, in addition to um, the big green complexes, means that, you know, guys are going to be hitting a ton of greens in regulation. Uh, 72% since 2015 is the average DIR percentage, which, um, and then once you get towards kind of the top end of the leaderboards, you're going to see guys hit 80, 85% of the greens. It's not, it's not a golf course. You're going to have to scramble a lot of. Um, so, <clears throat> iron play, even though TBC Summer not exactly a difficult course to uh, to hit approach shots on, doesn't really put a lot of peril in front of you on the second shot, but it is far and away the most important of the three tee to green metrics and determining success here. Top 10 finishers gained an average of 3.67 shots on approach compared to just 1.58 off the tee and 1.44 on the greens uh, since 2015. Uh, and in fact, only one player over the last five tournaments um, has managed to finish inside the top five while losing strokes on approach. So, not a big surprise for y'all there. Just in general, when you talk about PGA Tour courses, the, typically the easier it is, the more important relatively iron play and putting are. As courses get a bit more difficult and typically longer, more stretched out, uh, that's when driving a short game temp- tends to uh, tends to play a bigger factor. So uh, that's why we continually kind of see the same, I don't know, This, at least for me, my models tend to overlap a lot more in the fall swing when golf courses – Projected winning scores are in the 20s as opposed to maybe week in, week, week, in, week out in the PGA Tour where maybe January, February, March, April, where <clears throat> you could see a winning score of eight under and 23 under in back-to-back weeks. Um, a lot more uniform uh, in the fall swing. So, again, as far as the particular proximity ranges I'll be looking at, it'll be inside 175. Again, over 60% of approach shots come from that range. Um, and on most standard par fours here at Summerlin, you're, you're going to expect guys to have a wedge or a short iron in their hands. Uh, there are three reachable par fives as well as three par threes over 195. So there will be some long irons required, um, but with only one of 11 par fours this week, measuring over 460 yards, I'd prefer to use par five scoring as more of an all-encompassing metric rather than adding extra weight into 200-plus yard proximities. Um, so, yeah, those are the two ball striking metrics. Um I kind of mentioned a little bit about around the greens. Summerlin is actually one of the more difficult courses to scramble on, on the PGA tour. It's uh, it ranks as the fourth most difficult course on tour behind just Augusta national Mayfield village and TBC river highlands to gain strokes around the greens. So it even, it even emphasizes more the fact that if, if you do not hit these greens in regulation, you're going to be penalized even greater than even the typical swing season golf course. Um, so even though I'm not really waiting around the green, it is notable to, to figure that uh, if you're forced to scramble kind of hole in, hole out here, you're going to fall away from the pack pretty damn quickly. Um, and then the greens themselves, uh, we're back on bent grass this week for the first time since the BMW. Um, but in terms of parallels that can be drawn kind of geographically and agronomically, Summerlin doesn't really have a lot of close comparables like we've seen in Jackson and Napa where you just go through West Coast Poa or Southeastern Rita. Um, both the, you know, Notable desert courses on the schedule here in 2023, PJ West and TPC Scottsdale use an overseed Bermuda in that part of the season. So the closest comparable we'd have uh, over the last few years would be fellow would be fellow Las Vegas courses, Shadow Creek and the Summit Club uh, that hosted the 2020 and 21 
uh, CJ Cups. Um, now, both these events featured pretty elite fields, so nobody really in these in this tournament. So, again, unlike last week in Jackson last or last month in Napa, my putting model isn't really based on historical success in a particular region or particular grass type. Instead, it'll be focused on just recent momentum on the greens or just a historic propensity to, to spike and, and succeed in uh, these type of scoring conditions, which are you know conditions where you're going to have to shoot 66, 65, 64 pretty routinely in order to keep pace with uh, the top of the leaderboard. So, um, yeah, I try to keep that as, per- as concise as possible. If you guys wanted um, kind of a full breakdown, the full Monty of 2,000, 3,000 words on this golf course, um, my Road to Ball article will be up tomorrow morning, as it typically is. Um, so I try to keep it as concise as possible. That way, you know, you guys just aren't hearing me talk for 30 minutes about the same things I talked about a couple weeks ago. So, um, key stats roundup though, uh, driving as a whole will be de-emphasizing my modeling, but I do have a strong lean for driving accuracy as opposed to distance, uh, approach play still King. I'm honing in on wedge and short iron play specifically while using par four score or par five scoring, sorry, as a standard for much of the longer iron waiting. Uh, it's a big week for birdie or better percentage, birdie chances created, strokes gained in easy scoring conditions, as anyone who wants to contend this week is going to have to keep the pedal down for all four rounds uh, to reach those lofty scores we expect this week. And, uh, of course, finally putting far and away the second most important facet after approach play, uh, but with very few through lines to draw in terms of agronomy. Um, I'm choosing to look at more recent momentum shown around the greens, so like you know, strokes gained putting over a player's last four and five starts. Um, in addition to a little bit of Summerlin history on the greens. So that brings you into the model rankings, um, which, uh, yeah, are, are you'll I guess you'll get your first look on kind of how shallow this field is when uh, number one in the model is, in fact, Eric Cole uh, coming in at number one. JT Poston coming in at number two. Adam Shank comes in at number three. Uh, aforementioned Tom Kim, the highest ranked player in this field, comes in at four in my model. Doug Gim comes in at five, Alex Smalley at six, Aaron Rye at seven, Cam Davis eight, Luke List nine, Mark Hubbard 10, Siwoo Kim 11, Tom Hoagie 12, um, Sam Ryder 13, Ludwig Ober, uh, Ober is uh, 14, Ben Griffin is 15, Peter Kess is 16, Nikolai Hoagard 17, Davis Thompson 18, JJ Spawn and Troy Merritt round out the top 20. So, um, yeah, as you can see, <laughs> a lot of guys we bet over the last couple of weeks um, and, you know, a few kind of marquee names in there with Tom Kim and, uh, you know, Siwoo and Ludwig. But, yeah, it's it's your standard swing season affair this week. So a um, bit of a plug your nose and, and just kind of bet the numbers week, in my opinion. Um, not going to not going to get a lot of, you know, sexy numbers on guys that um, that, you know, the numbers would have liked. It's kind of all right there in front of you. I think the books are kind of reading. We're kind of all kind of reading the same mail in terms of the guys that that should rate out quite well for this golf course. So, um, yeah, I'll throw it to Chris for the off board. We'll kind of sort through. As of right now, I have no bets uh, for the for the Shriners Open. It's not that I don't have any leans, um, but again, when you're constructing a betting card, um, particularly when you've, I don't feel like there's a ton of depth in this field. Um, it makes each individual decision a lot more impactful because it then precludes you or potentially precludes you from betting another guy that you might like at the very top. So I'm actually going to be concentrating quite a bit. I think probably under 50 to one this week. And, you know, as we read these names out on the odds board, you'll kind of get a rehash of what I just alluded to in my top 20 of my model. So um, yeah, without any further ado, Chris, the first few names on the odd board and let's, let's talk through this field just a little bit. Yeah. I was going to say, it feels, feels kind of like a, a NASCAR style week where, Maybe we're going to have to talk ourselves into some bets by the end of the night because nothing locked in yet. So, yeah, let's go ahead and look at the odds board here as the top two guys um, kind of separate themselves from the rest of the field. So we got Tom Kim at 12 to 1 and Lud- Ludwig Aubrey. Right. I heard I heard that during the uh, Ryder Cup coverage on how to say that. Um, but 12 and 13 to 1, respectively, um, looks like they were fourth and like what, 14th in your model. 14th, yeah. um, so. Yeah, I guess, is there any thought currently with no bets on the board that this may be a direction you go? Or do you think that you're pretty much kind of focused on the next range of guys? Yeah, I mean, this is this is the key, the key contention point for me. Um, do I want to bet one of the young superstars at the top? Um, superstar maybe using, maybe using a bit facetiously, but I mean, two maybe future stars of the game. And certainly in this field, 
the two marquee names uh, coming in the 21-year-old Korea and the 23-year-old Swede. Uh, we'll start with Tom Kim, who is my favorite of the two. Uh, Tom Kim, 12 to 1, he's pretty much the consensus favorite. I think 12 to 1 is probably the best price you're going to get anywhere on market right now. I know I saw some 14s that opened, didn't pull the trigger, and it quickly fell down into the 10 to 12 to 1 range. But Tom Kim, maybe quietly for those of us that maybe follow mainly the PGA Tour, but he is currently on a string of seven consecutive top 25s dating back to the Scottish Open. Um, which included a runner finished obviously the Open Championship. He finished T6, I believe, in the Scottish. Uh, and then actually played two events in Europe uh, after the Tour Championship, those being the BMW PGA Championship at Wentworth, uh, which features – it's kind of the flagship event of the DP World Tour. Uh, had the entire European Ryder Cup team there. Had Billy Horschel there. Um, had guys like Adrian Moronk. Uh, kind of some near misses on the European team. Tom Kim finishes 18th in that event, then goes to France uh, at Le Golf National the very next week the same golf course that the 20 that hosted the 2018 Ryder cup and uh, finishes T six there. So he's in some really, really solid form. He's actually, um, you know, unlike a lot of these kind of bigger name PGA guys, he's actually gotten some reps in, um, in preparation for the Shriners in preparation for his title defense here. Um, and man, it's, it's about as consistent. We've seen Tom Kim's results be since, you know, he went back to back and kind of burst on the scene last summer. Um, as far as the profile goes, I mean, I like Tom Kim because we kind of know what we're going to get with him. We know he's already one of the most reliable drivers of the ball on the planet. Um, he had a 23, he had a driving aggregate percentage of 67.31 in 2023, which is the fourth best in this field. Um, the iron play seems to be coming back for the 21 year old Korean as well as he's gained over 2.2 shots and approach per start over the last three months. And that's keep in mind. These are, these are many of these events were against some of the best players on the planet, right? The Fed's cup playoffs is including that the open championship, the Scottish open, uh, the BMW championship went worth. So these are not like scrub fields that he's gaining strokes and approach on. And given the strokes gain is um, it's scaled by field strength. Um, yeah. It's, it's an impressive run of form for, for the iron play. Even if, you know, 2.2 isn't exactly eye popping um, you get the feeling that a field like this, that baseline will only grow. Um, and then, you know, we'd kind of know about the ball striking though, like throughout Tom Kim's career, it's been the driver and the, iron play that's kind of propelled him into the into the status he has in the game of golf right now but the putter recently has developed into a, a real weapon for tom kim uh he's gained strokes putting in each of his last seven starts he's gained at least a stroke per round which is four strokes per tournament and five of those seven and over the long term he's one of the best kind of wedge slash short iron players in this field uh behind just eric cole and tom hoagie over his last 75 rounds so of course he comes in this week as the defending champion at summerfield or i'm sorry summerlin um and so even though 12, 12 to one is a pretty brutal price to swallow uh, objectively, you know, like can't remember everyone to bet in Tom. Can't remember everyone wanting to bet Tom Kim, anything, you know, less than 25 to one. And now it's, it's half that number, but Summerlin has seen a lot of its past champions kind of repeatedly contend. We mentioned Cantley with his crazy run of form after his 2018 win. Kevin Na won twice here in 2011, 2018. Martin Laird has won twice and, re and routinely contended on, on multiple occasions outside of that. So, We've seen Summerlin kind of be kind to its, its uh, past champions time and time again. And you couple that with the fact that, you know, there's a real lack of elite or even reliable options in this field. So the more this week goes along, I, I am drawn a bit more to Tom. Um, of course, like a bet at 12 to one is going to take up roughly 50% of our uh, weekly budget. So again, I don't really have any, downsides to betting Tom Kim. I, I completely understand if you want to go to the top here, uh, but his spot on my card is pretty much entirely contingent on my opinions on the following few ranges. So if we can sort out the 30, 40, 50 range, it, it might make the, the picture for Tom Kim a little bit clearer, but for now there's a lot of guys I still like a little bit down the board. So it's tough to click. It's tough to post the trigger at, at 12 to one when you know that it's going to cost you three or four names, potentially of guys you really like kind of in the following ranges. So um, that's my stance on Tom. As for Ludwig, Look, the kid, the kid is absolutely incredible. Uh, he comes up the Ryder Cup. I mean, it feels like the the biggest like fade spot of all time. After his he's twenty three years old, first Ryder Cup. His team absolutely dominates the Americans. They're on the bus, you know, with champagne bottles, singing, uh, you know, singing their songs until God knows how long on Sunday night. Comes into Jackson, Mississippi. I mean, got Nicolo Hogard uh, withdrew from the tournament. I think on like Sunday night. Like he was, he was like, yeah, there's no fucking chance. I'm going to Jackson, Mississippi for the Sanderson Farms. Ludwig shows up and finishes runner up. Man, somehow ends up in the in the um, in the playoff, the five man playoff. Finishes runner up to Luke List there, 
and man puts on probably the best ball striking display we've seen out of him, at least on the PJ tour um, in his short career gains 4.2 shots off the tee, 4.4 on approach 3.5 around the greens even. Uh, so let just absolutely lap that field from tee to green. And, you know, now we go to a place in Summerlin, which again, wider fairways shouldn't put up a ton of, excuse me, shouldn't put a, should, but should not put up a ton of obstacles for Ludwig in, in terms of ball striking. Um, I've kind of fallen in the track trap a couple times of being like, no, this guy's first win's going to be on, you know, a big boy golf course where total driving is really emphasized. He's a typically a better long iron player than he's a wedge player anyway. So that's why it's, it's caused him to fade him at places like the John Deere and the Wyndham places like that. But he's got a fourth place finish to his name at one of the shorter golf courses on the PJ tour. The John Deere gained 3.5 shots on approach that week came 14th of the Wyndham when I was pretty adamantly fading him um, at a golf course. I really didn't think suited him all that well. So I'm kind of past the point of being like, yeah, this is not a good course fit for Ludwig because he's proved time and time again that he's just got as high of a ceiling as maybe anybody outside of the top 10 in the world right now. So um, in a vacuum, I still I still trust Tom Kim. I still trust the baselines a little bit more. Like, I don't know. I mean, we just have a bit more data to go off of. And Ludwig is, I mean, if there is a fault in Ludwig's game, it's kind of inside 150 yards, particularly with the wedges. Um, whereas I don't have that concern one bit with Tom. So um yeah, in a vacuum, I would I would prefer Tom Kim, but it's it's a scary fade. <laughs> Just continuing to to leave Ludwig off the card because uh, it it feels like the win is very very imminent for for the twenty three year old Swede. Yeah, and I can tell you that personally, I if I know we have a lot more guys to talk to, talk about, but personally, it's it's going to be hard for me to not bet Tom Kim. <laughs> like especially talking about, I mean, you brought it up, right? Like talking about how there are guys who just con- consistently show success year over year. Like yep. Cantley being the one you referenced, and you know Kim is coming to defend his title and, and playing, you know, seven straight top twenty finishes <laughs> speaks for itself. So, yeah, um, yeah, I think Tom Kim is serious discussion here, but obviously a lot more names to talk about. Um, so let's move on to the twenty range, where I'm seeing two guys listed here. Names are Cam Davis and Siwoo Kim. Uh, Siwoo Kim's become quite of a favorite of FHP. So uh, interesting to hear what you have for these two gentlemen. Uh, yeah, actually surprisingly not a ton of interest for two guys that I tend to, um, I tend to gravitate towards quite a bit. Cam Davis, 20 to one in this field. Uh, I think largely in the back of his results recently, he just finished third at the Fortinet just last month to open his 2024 campaign. Uh, and then before that had a 40th place finish, had a bad finish at the BMW championship, but before that sixth place at the St. Jude, seventh place at the Wyndham and 10th of the three open. So last five starts, four finishes inside the top 10 including a third place finish in the first swing season event of the year, um, which on the surface seems like, okay, this, this is like the breakout we've all been waiting for since Davis was a young kid come out of Australia. Um, one of the hottest prospects I'll show he's had in some time. Um, but when you kind of dive into the, the underlying numbers that have led to these finishes, a lot of it's been frankly around the short game, which is, um, which it's encouraging that Cam Davis has, has made some strides potentially in the around the green play. Uh, but when a guy is gaining 5.2, 2.3, 4.2 shots around the greens in his last three starts, um, it doesn't really scream sustainability to me. And, uh, you know, I would much, I'd be much more inclined to maybe bite the bullet and, and, and buy high on Cam Davis if, you know, he'd shown some, some elite approach play over the last kind of few months in this, in this pretty sick string. But uh, last four starts, he's only gained 0.3, 2.1. 0.6 and 1.1 strokes gained on approach, which is above his general baseline, but it's not really the elite iron upside that I'm looking for this week, particularly when you're asking me to, to buy him at 20 to one. So um, for me, I'm, I'm kind of lukewarm leaning cold on Davis's breakout. I feel like it's going to cool down before it, before he wins um, particularly these numbers. So I'm, I'm comfortable um, just kind of leaving him alone at, at 20. And, you know, he's, he's a guy that, I do believe in the upside, and if you get him at 40, 50 to 1 in, in a similarly strength field, I'd, I'd be in. But, um, you know, not a, not a ton of trust in his ability to win at, at this number. Siwoo is a bit more compelling to me, um, maybe for kind of the opposite reasons. If you're, if you're counting Cam Davis, you're counting, you know, his play over the last kind of few months. Siwoo, not a lot to show since really the BMW Championship. He finished 31st out of 50 there, finished 20th out of 30 at the Tour Championship. So he made the Tour Championship, but not, not a ton of, you know, elite finishes there to end his playoffs hasn't played since the tour championship and um, lost 2.8 and three shots on approach, which was his, which were actually his two worst iron weeks 
of the entire 2023 campaign kind of in the last two weeks of the season. So maybe, you know, fatigue could be a factor there. Maybe he's, he's nice and refreshed now. Um, but certainly, you know, you would, you would prefer a bit better lead in for a guy that's 20 to one heading into this tournament. The, the good news would talk, or sorry, the good news with Siwoo Kim is when you talk about the Shriners, um, we've kind of routinely seen him find golf courses that he likes and routinely play well, right? Wyndham comes to mind. Uh, Amex comes to mind. The players comes to mind, Harbor town and the Shriners is, Maybe not at that caliber, but it's not far off, right? Two of his, two of his last race starts, he's finished eighth uh, in 2022 and 2020, uh, respectively. Came 15th here in 2018, so that's three of six start or four of six starts where he's finished inside the top 25. Um, I mean, on paper, this this seems to set up like a really, really good golf course for for Siwoo, a guy that's super accurate off the tee, really good kind of historical short middle iron player. Um, and so, I trust Siwoo to maybe get back on the horse because we, we know that when Siwoo is feeling it, especially in a field like this, like he's very capable of leading this field and approach. And, and, you know, he's got the driving acumen to not get himself in a ton of trouble. Um, so I see things turning around a lot quicker, maybe for Siwoo versus um, kind of riding the hot hand with Cam Davis here. But I'm, uh, I'm not really all as convinced at 20 to one uh, when you were asking me to kind of, buy pretty high on a guy that you know has engaged strokes and approach in nearly two months now so um yeah i could definitely see it with siwu if the number was a bit better but yeah i'm i'm not really all that enthused at, at 20 to 1 all right now comes the range that i think is your decider yeah. um as i think i just counted three of your top actually your top three are in this range Correct. um so adam shank eric cole JJ Spawn, JT Poston, and Tom Hoagie, all at the prices of 30 to 1. For me, the biggest shock of the guys you listed top three year model was JT Poston. When yeah. you said that, like I was like, I had to make sure I heard you correctly. Um, so I'm curious to see his your case on that one. Um, yeah. but Adam Shank, I know, I know for a fact has been playing some really, really good golf over the past few uh, few months. So uh, yeah, what you got for this range? Yeah, so I, I talked about Tom Kim being a very, uh, very uh, key, I guess, divergent point, or you know, it's a, it's, there's a pretty big contingency on you know betting Tom Kim at the top. If I decide to go against Tom Kim at twelve to one, I guarantee at least two of these three guys will be on the card, if not all three. Um, I know Chris is Revens Bovada, but I can I can find you a forty to one on Eric Cole on Bookmaker, thirty three to one on Adam Shank, excuse me, and a thirty to one on JG Poston, which is kind of the, excuse me, the consensus number. Uh, I love all three of these guys. Eric Cole, Poston, and Shank, really big fans. We'll uh, we'll start with uh, I guess we'll start with Poston because you you brought him up as the biggest surprise of the group. Uh, again, very similar to Siwoo. We haven't seen him since the BMW, so that's probably the number one uh, maybe knock against Poston. We saw maybe what Rust can do potentially to a to a player at the Ryder Cup where where guys hadn't played since the Fed's Cup playoffs and they end up kind of falling flat on day one against Europe, uh, a European team that had kind of made the run in a couple of European tour events leading up to the Ryder cup. The Americans kind of caught flat footed at, at the start of that event. But if you just look back really in the sample size, we do have maybe over the last three months of JT Poston, uh, it's been, it's been really impressive. Uh, probably the most consistent golf we've seen him play uh, kind of starting in the month of July finishes sixth of the John Deere classic finishes sixth of the Genesis Scottish open makes the cut finishes 41st of the open, then goes second, seventh, of the three M and the Wyndham, and then finishes top 25 in both the Fed's Cup playoff events against really elite fields, finishes 25th of the St. Jude, 22nd in the BMW Championship, a pretty similar kind of run of form to what we saw Tom Kim have. But even more impressive than that, uh, the iron play that JT Boston has been on really for the last four starts has been about as unmatched as we have in this field. 5.2 strokes gained at the BMW, 4.9 at the Wyndham, 5.4 3 M open, which Poston – has shown these kind of spike weeks before and spike stretches before, and he's tended to win whenever he's done that. Remember, uh, he came second at the Travelers gaining and led that field and approach, won the very next week at the John Deere, did the very same thing at the Wyndham Championship back in 2019, gaining 6.8 shots in approach. Um, because when Poston's iron game is firing, particularly with his short irons and wedges, he's a, a lead enough putter to where he can win events at 20, 22, 24 under par. <clears throat> he's one of the best putters in this field. When you just adjust for putting and approach play over the last three months, He's top of this field. Uh, no one else has been better than JT Boston with a putter and his approach play. Now, actually, all three of these guys share, share pretty similar profiles in that 
they are not the most reliable off the tee. Um, with Poston rating out 94th out of 120 or sorry, 137 names uh, since the start of June in strokes gain off the tee. But when you just adjust that for accuracy, he's actually he, he approaches more of the field average. He's 55th, sorry, 55th in good driver percentage, 75th in fairways gained. Um, which again, these landing areas are pretty wide. So I don't really need you to be like Tom Kim levels of accurate. I just need you to be like, you know, just above average or or at least show some sort of reliability. Just don't be like dead last in driving accuracy or or a good drive percentage. So I do trust I do trust JT. He he has tended to raise raise his baselines on kind of shorter golf courses, places like the Heritage, places like Colonial, um, places like RSM. Those are places where he's tended to have his best driving performances. Um and yeah, I just can't really ignore the, the recent form we've seen. He's finished fourth here back in 2017. He had a top 20 finish here as well last year. Uh, so he has shown a bit of, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit of form here at TBC Summerlin. And uh, yeah, I, I just, again, you're, you're kind of banking on the fact that he can carry over uh, some results from a couple of months ago. But in terms of, again, the sample we do have, he should be tailor-made for this golf course. Really, really good history at, at Amex as well, which I think is a pretty good parallel over at PJ West and Palm Springs. Um, moving on to Adam Shank, I'm going to say a lot of the same things about Adam Shank, um, coming in with some really, really stellar iron play. He's just like Poston, a really good putter as well. Even a better driver of the ball than Poston, um, kind of over the long term. but Shank tour championship finished ninth, uh, FedEx St. Jude finished sixth. John Deere finished fourth. Rocket Mortgage finished seventh. He has, uh, six individual top tens, uh, since the start of June. So he's kind of routinely popped up. He, now he's a bit more consistent maybe than Poston is. He does have three missed cuts in there. Um, all three are at elevated events or majors. And so when Adam Shank's on, and particularly when he's on in a weak field, he's um, he's as dangerous as anyone um, when it comes to climbing the leaderboard and, and making his way into contention. Getting six shots on the purse of the Tour Championship, 4.4 at the St. Jude, 5.1 at the John Deere, 4.8 at the Rocket Mortgage, 6 at the Memorial, 3.8 at Charles Schwab. Um so Shank has had a really, really, I think he just had a really, really stellar 2023 as a whole. It was kind of a breakout year for him. And now he gets to start 2023, I'm sorry, 2024, um, at a golf course that he's really had a ton of success at through his career. Third here in 2021, 12th here last year, 18th in 2019, 20th in 2017, 27th in 2020. So he's made six starts here. Five of them have been inside the top 27, um, including a third place finish, like I said, in 2021. So he's actually, he's also never lost strokes putting. At this golf course, um, and again, he's when you just dumb it down, which is kind of what I'm trying to do this week. It's not really a very complex model. It's just who's been hot with the irons, who's capable of making enough putts to get to 22 under. Um, and when you just filter by that, like him, Poston, and Eric Cole are the uh, are the three guys that really pop up for me. So um, Cole, I've talked enough about him probably over the last couple of weeks because he has been on our betting card the last two weeks, um, but. Again, he's probably, I mean, he's a little bit more of an extreme than Shanker Post. And I think Shanker Post are maybe a bit more similar to each other than Cole is. Cole is just, he's red hot. He's like legitimately elite as an hour player and a putter um, and just pretty abysmal off the tee. So Eric Cole, frankly, is probably my least favorite of these three guys. But the fact that we can get a bit of a discount, he's 40 to one currently on Bookmaker, actually 38.50 if you want to be uh, exact about it. Round it up to 40. Uh, to one, but yeah, he's he's objectively a pretty bad driver of the golf ball, and that's really the the case to be made against Eric Cole. Um, if you if you aren't on him this week, 123rd in strokes gained off the tee, 97th in good driver zones, 20 126th in fairways gained. So we've got to get that under control. The good news about Summerlin as well that I kind of forgot to mention um, is that there are so many golf holes on this on this course that are under kind of that that fall between that like 380 to 440 range where. With the firm and fast conditions, with the elevation, guys are going to be able to club down off the tee quite a bit. You see a lot of three woods here. You see a lot of you know five woods or driving irons even for the longer hitters. But I don't view this as a golf course that you know is going to put a huge amount of emphasis on your driver. Um, and you know, if Eric Cole can just keep the ball somewhere on the planet around this golf course, <clears throat> I trust the iron play. I trust the short game, and I trust the putter. So um, it's the same thesis as I've kind of had it at Sanderson and Fortinet where he's finished fourth and 35th, the last two starts. Um, and so again, I'm, I'm just generally, my numbers are pretty high on Eric Cole relative to where he typically is on odds boards. So um, I'm okay with continuing to ride um, the kid this week. So um, those are obviously my three favorite guys. I know 
Uh, JJ Spawn sitting there as well, 30 to 1. Um, I think JJ, I have the same opinion about JJ every single week. Like he's a solid top 20 bet, solid top 40 bet. He's a guy I see making a ton of cups on the PJ Tour, making, you know, a fair share of money. Um, but I don't really see what the ceiling is. I don't really see what you're betting on in terms of an elite tool when you've been on JJ Spawn. He's just kind of average to above average at everything. Um, so I don't really see him like having the upside to lead a field and approach or lead the field with a putter that I think is kind of going to be necessary um, <clears throat> in the vet this week. And then finally, <clears throat> excuse me, Tom Hoagie, uh, 30 to one. I know he opened at, you know, 35, 40 in some spots. I think you'd probably still find 35s. I would frankly be interested at 40 to one. Um, however, 30, he's pretty clearly fourth to me outside of Shank, Post, and Cole. Um, the problem with Hoagie is kind of the same problem with Eric Cole as well, in that Hoagie over the last four months has been an objectively abysmal driver of the golf ball. Um, if I can find him here, yeah, rates 128th instruction off the tee, 106th in good driver percentage, 102 in fairways gains. So outside of the top 100 in all three of my key driving stats. Um, he did just have one of the best or the best iron week of his, of his uh, season dating back to last year's players championship. So he did, he did show some like really, really recent form of the Sanderson forms, uh, gained 5.7 shots on approach, finished 13th in that event. And of course he's played really well at the Shriners here as well. Fourth place last year. I think we're on him 14th at the Shriners in 2021, seventh in 2017, 24th in 2020. So that's four of his last five starts finished inside the top 25 with four, uh, with the fourth and the seventh in there as well. So, I like Hoagie a lot, um, but if I'm going to have to make a cut in the 30 to one range, it would it would be him before I would cut Cole or Shanker or Poston. So long witted as uh, as fuck, but I I do like like my 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 betting card is is pretty um against contingent on this group pretty contingent on this group. So I figured deep dive all three of these guys um, or all four of these guys, and uh, you know kind of figure out the rest later because again. Even if we do bet Tom Kim, like if we bet Tom Kim for half the budget, I, I still imagine we're going to have at least one of these guys on there. And I think of the of the three, I I would probably lean Shank or Poston because they have the fewest just inherent warts with them. Um, I could see things going a little, little more sideways for Eric Cole easier. Um, but yeah, Shank has a bit more course history. Poston has a bit more kind of recent form, more consistent recent form. So um yeah a lot of words to say i like all three of these guys so we can move on whenever uh whenever you want yeah i guess and i i don't anticipate being in this next range very very long unless unless i'm wrong but andrew putnam and bo hustler oh actually did that price just change vincent norman's now 35 to 1 as well he just dropped yeah um so i don't imagine any any interest here but I, i'm willing to be wrong uh no you're right you're right we'll we'll, we'll kind of breeze through this range a little bit uh, considering we we spent a lot of time at 30 to one. But again, I think Putnam is a guy that does have a lot of course history here. Uh, he's played really well here in the past. So that's kind of why you're getting the a bit of the in, the inflation in his number. Um, coming off a 10th place finish at the BMW, 25th at the uh, or 24th at the St. Jude. So he came in uh, with some nice form into the Fed's Cup playoffs. Started this uh, calendar year, this 2024 season with a missed cut at the Fortinet. But if you're betting Andrew Putnam, you're betting on a bit of the course history. He's come 11th, 12th, 18th, 58th, 33rd in his last five starts. So um, he's been, again, kind of like Spawn. I liked Putnam as a bit more of a top 20 or top 30, top 40 play um, than I do to win. Still a guy that has, has uh, yet to win on the PGA Tour. Uh, he's choked away plenty of chances um, down the stretch there alongside it. So <clears throat> for me, I, I think Putnam will have a good week. I'm not really inclined to bet him at 35 or even 40 to one. Uh, Hostler has just been, again, a bit of, has been the guy I've just went against consensus on probably the most in the fall swing. Just not a good enough iron player over the long term for me to really, to really rate him. Um, I don't know. If Bo Hostler wins, I'm going to be, I'm probably going to lose money that week. So um, there's just not, there's not a lot I see. I mean, he's, he is an above average driver of the golf ball. He can certainly spike with a putter. Um, the iron play has gotten maybe better. But uh, but still not at the level of the guys around him on the odds board. So it would it would take a pretty pretty stark price uh, depression for me to really start thinking about Bo Hostel over guys like Poston or Shank or Cole, et cetera. <clears throat> and then Vincent Norman, who I think is probably the most intriguing of this group. Uh, you mentioned his his price just fell to thirty five. You can probably still get forties, forty fives. I, I see a forty uh, right here on Bookmaker right now. 
Um, but he he has won twice over his last uh, six starts. He won the Barbersaw Championship, which is the alternate field event um, with the Open um, at the same week as the Open, sorry. And then he actually chased down Roy McIlroy. Or I shouldn't say chased down. Roy McIlroy kind of just uh, tripped over himself a couple of times. And uh, Norman backed into the win of the Irish Open. Um, now, it, it's it's weird to say because, you know, he just won the Barbasol, which was which is traditionally one of the easier events on the PGA Tour. <clears throat> but I actually like Norman a lot more when, it, when things get a bit more difficult. Like his elite tools, his driver. He is legitimately one of the best drivers of the ball in this field when it comes to, you know, assessing length and accuracy off the tee. Um, and in a place like Summerlin, I mean, I kind of alluded to this being a bit of a fallacy with Ludwig, but I, I do think the two Swedes have pretty similar skill sets and that they tend to separate themselves more on golf courses that are longer, um, require a lot more long irons and in, into the greens, a little more driver intensive, um, and maybe a little bit of less emphasis on the short game uh, because it, it, it feels like Norman had just has um, he has the capability to just completely pitfall um, with a punter in the short game. So um, yeah, I, I think he's intrigued. I think he's an intriguing prospect. I, I do like Vince Norman long-term and I'll, I'll be monitoring his progress. Maybe as we get into like a, I'm trying to think of a venue on the fall swing that really suits him. Um which I guess Houston would be the best one, but that's now been moved to April this past, this, this upcoming year. So um, maybe 2024 is the year for me to finally hop on Norman, but I really can't see myself betting him at, you know, 40 to one at a, at a wedge fest uh, like this, where I think, you know, most year strokes can be gained inside 150 yards. So um, yeah, that's my piece on Norman. I am high in the long-term talent, but yeah, I, I don't see this as the spot for to deployment at 40 to one. Alrighty, so now we move on to the forty to one range, where we got two guys at forty to one, and then three guys at forty five to one. Adam Hadwin and Nik- Nikolai Hoygaard at forty to one, and then some pod favorites at forty five to one. Adam Svensson, Alex Smalley, Emiliano Grillo. What you got for this range, and why are we going back to Svensson and Smalley? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, there are just a couple guys. I think as we kind of get past the forties, that like I, I bet so much, and like I just I just know what's coming. Um, like Alex Molly, look, one of the best, I mean, over the last three, four months, one of the best ball structures in this field. I trust the approach play, um, wholeheartedly a top five iron player. I trust the driver. It's just, is this guy ever going to like put it all together in the same week? And I don't know. I, I just, I just don't really feel like this is the place for Smalley. Smalley is a guy that I, I, he's just always on the brink of like complete and utter capitulation. And at a place like this, where if you make one bad swing, you're just in the desert somewhere, like staring double bogey in the face. He doesn't really have the putter that I that I really want to see um, to win. I, I feel like if Smalley's going to win this tournament, it's going to be on the back of just gaining like an obscene amount of strokes with his irons, um, which is possible. But I just trust maybe the more all around skill sets of guys a bit higher up the board. So, um, yeah, I mean, it would it would really sting if he if this is the week he finally gets it done. I Again, very much like Vincent Norman, very much like a Ludwig. I like Smalley a bit more when it comes to, you know, longer courses where he's got to hit a few more long irons when he can more utilize his hiddle driving to separate himself from the field. Um, and so, again, TBC Summerlin, I'm going to maybe steer away from some of the sexier picks and go maybe towards more of the the guys that that just produce really well from from the ranges that, that I kind of alluded to already. So, um yeah, of course, Smalley, in my opinion, I'm so high on the talent. He's got the upside to win any week, but I don't know if this is going to be the week for, for me. Um, Sven Dog, probably the closest I have in this range, I would say. I mean, he he did play quite well last week. Like I said, he he came into the uh, the final round. I think he was down by – he was down by five, but – or no, he's down by six because Griffin was 20 under par to start the day. Uh, but he was only four off what inevitably was the winning score. So – um, he played quite well. The Sanderson gained four shots on approach. We know the driver is super reliable. Actually, lost strokes, or I'm sorry, he gained four strokes putting. Um, gained 2.9 off the tee. Lost 1.6 putting, which or on approach, which is kind of weird for Spence. And that's typically his con card. Uh, had a pretty bad had a pretty bad iron week. Lost strokes on approach for the first time since the Rocket Mortgage uh, back in early July. But I I do think the Shriners is a place that could that could suit him quite well. Um, we've seen him win the RSM places like the Players, the Wyndham. These are the kind of golf courses that he tends to 
um, pop up at like positional tracks, shorter, um, you know, in some in most cases, easier scoring conditions. Um, so I, I do like Spenson a bit more than Smalley. I do like the course fit a bit better. Um, he's definitely on the short list, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just not, uh, I'm just not as convinced as I am at the very top. So um, yeah, I would rather have Spenson than Grio than Hoygaard, than Smalley, um, just in a vacuum. But it's still, again, it's still a little bit up in the air for me whether I really want to commit that, um, even at 45, 55 to 1. But, um, but yeah, I, I would say past the past the three guys that I just talked about, and obviously Tom Kim, like this is the closest we've come to maybe making a move. Um, I see him at 55 to 1 on Bookmaker. Um, so, yeah, I could I could definitely talk myself into it, but it would it wouldn't be a, a priority for me if that makes sense. It certainly does. All right, so with ten minutes to the hour, uh, we've made it to fifty to one, yeah. and still no bets, but a lot of guys in contention for being on the card. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna let you take it over from here. I want you to rattle off some names maybe you got from deeper, um, and. You know, I think it'd be remiss if we didn't at least talk about Lexi Thompson. I know we're probably not going to bet her, not even in the right mind to bet her, but right. we probably should at least mention it. Um, with yeah. Lexi being the uh, seventh female, I think, to play on the PGA Tour, so that's that's actually surprising. I can't really remember another case like this in recent history. Um, I don't know if that includes like her team um, appearances with like I think I know she was with Bubba Watson one year at the. Uh, what's it called? The one in Naples, um, the Tiburone Championship, I think it was called formerly. I think it's called the Grant Thornton this year um, when they're actually going to kind of incentivize guy-girl pairings. Uh, but she's made a few appearances alongside guys like Bubba and, and Tony Fino, I think, in that event. I don't know if that's included. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, go ahead. No, I was referencing – it's not her seventh event, and she's the seventh woman to make a start right. at the PGA Tour. Right. No, I'm just I'm just curious that, as to whether those counts towards the win. Oh, because I don't I don't think they're counting that. Okay. Okay. Because in my in my I mean, short all fandom, I, I don't really remember again like a girl teeing it up at you know a legit full field PGA Tour event, no team event, anything like that, no team aspect. So. Um, Apparently she's the sixth to do it in a full tee event. So one of I guess one of them must be like a team or like some kind of yeah. It must be a team event unless Charles Schwab Challenge was the other one. Looks like okay. Well, that's that's Colonial, right? Oh, well, why are they? Yeah, I don't know why they had that one separated out. Yeah, that was uh, whatever. Doesn't yeah, unless the branding. Unless the branding was different. Obviously, uh, the Charles Schwab Challenge is now the Colonial event in Fort Worth. But um, yeah, two thousand and one, Lexi Thompson. Uh, you know, probably not worth a bet. You know, I mean, it's impossible to really endorse anything. We don't really have LPGA stats um, past things like greener regulation and, you know, fairer percentage, like pretty basic stuff like that. So, um, you know, it'll be obviously cool. I, I don't really know um, what the format's going to I'm assuming she's going to play from the same tees as everyone else. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would rather personally, I would rather if, we're going to have some kind of collab between the LPGA and the PGA. I'd rather do it like the European tour does where they have like a mixed event where, um, where guys and girls are, are teamed up. And I think that's kind of the, the main idea for the Grant Thornton coming up and kind of the, the team season. Whenever we do the QB shootout, the Grant Thornton, the father, son PNC. Um, I think that's more of the, <clears throat> excuse me, more of the, the idea in that sense. Um, I mean, I don't expect her to make the cut, but um, it's not like I'm pulling against her. It's just, it feels a little bit, uh, feels a little bit unfair um, what they're kind of setting her up for. But I will say if there, if there is one golf course or, you know, one golf course on tour that I think, you know, like you just kind of have to be dialed in with your wedges and your putter. So um, the girls on the LPJ that are typically, you know, a bit more accurate off the tee than the PGA guys and that obviously don't hit it as far, but they, rely on the precision more than their power. Um, I do think she can, you know, acquaint herself quite well. Um, but yeah, no, obviously no interest in any kind of DraftKings or, or prop plays on, on Lucky Thompson, but. Funny um, little quote here that I just, I just have to click an article just, just to see if they mention anything about it, Like if she's playing the, mm-hmm. the men's tees, whatever. I assume she is, but it doesn't really say anything, but there's a funny quote in here that says, um, 
kind of basically what you just said. She plans to hit a driver on almost every par four and par five, a rarity for her on LPJ courses, which often prioritize accuracy. Right. Just happy I can bomb driver everywhere, she said. Defending champion Tom Kim, so with a chuckle, she hits the ball very far. If I play with her, I would be very worried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Tommy's maybe being a little bit kind there. Uh, <laughs> and he's he is also one of the shorter hitters on the tour. So um, it'd be a funny pairing. I think it'll it'll make for good TV. I mean, she probably there's a reason why they did it. You know, I'm sure she'll generate a lot more interest than you know um, your average sponsored redemption on a given week. Um, so yeah, looking forward to to seeing her. I'm sure plenty over the first two days. Hopefully the first four and um, or hopefully all four. But uh, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I I I I do know Lexi is one of the longer hitters on the LPGA tour, so it does feel like she would be one of the like the obvious candidates being American and a you know pretty heavy power player um, in terms of kind of keeping up with the guys. But um, yeah, I, I don't anticipate um, betting an LPGA player at a PGA tour event anytime soon. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's all I'll, all I'll say about that. Uh, we'll move into, like Chris said, the 50 to want to be on range in which I, I do have quite a few um, guys in this range that I, I do like. Um, we'll start with Aaron Rye who is 55 to one on Bovada. He's actually 70 to one on bookmaker, which I think is a really, really wild number. Um, I actually, frankly, I think of the guys we've listed so far in terms of percentage chance of making the card, I think Aaron Rye stands the best chance. Um, he, he possesses probably the most bankable assets of really anyone in this tier. Uh, when you talk about his driving accuracy, he's actually number one in this field in fair percentage. He's number one in this field in, in a good driver percentage inside the top 20 total driving. And he's actually inside the top 12 in, in kind of wedges and uh, short on proximity. Um, we've seen Aaron Rye kind of, again, he's been a bit more inconsistent than, you know, guys at the, at the top of the, at the, at the top of the betting board, which you, which you would you expect at a guy at 55, 60 to one. But when Aaron Rye is, you know, when everything fires for Aaron Rye, he tends to climb the leaderboard pretty quickly and, and not just in events that are completely scrub based. Right. I mean, he, he finished T3 at the Canadian open. Uh, back in June, where he gained nearly eight shots in approach in a field that included Roy McIlroy, uh, Tyrrell Hatton, Tommy Fleetwood, Justin Rose. Um, I think that Patrick might have been there as well. Yeah, Corey Connors, obviously. So some really good ball structures in that field. He led that field in approach, uh, finishing T3. He just finished T2 at the aforementioned Wentworth Championship, the BMW PGA, which um, you know, included John Rahm, Roy McIlroy. I mean, the entire European Ryder Cup team, as, as I saw, as I mentioned previously, Um he gained over four shots or four shots off the tee, four shots on approach there as well. Um, and on four other occasions, he's gained at least five shots on approach at the Irish Open. Um, he gained six shots on approach in that week. He gained 6.4 at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. He gained uh, nearly eight shots on approach at the Charles Schwab Challenge. So, again, it's a little bit inconsistent with Aaron Rye. And he's a guy that I maybe wouldn't be as inclined to play in a prop sense. But I do feel like from a pure upside perspective, um, if the iron play does start to work and it feels like a golf course that has a lot of short irons and wedges is more his, his strong suit. Um, yeah, I, I think he's, he's very, very live to win this golf tournament. He's a guy that's, you know, won multiple times in the European tour. He's come very, very close on some really big stages, um, both here and in Europe. So 55, 61, you know, I, I mentioned the 71 that we have, that's obviously the best number on market, but, um, I'd be okay with Aaron Ryan, anything over 50 to one personally. Uh, Mark Hubbard is another guy that, again, if you're looking for a guy that's quite reliable off the tee, a little bit of a discount Tom Hoagie. If you kind of are priced out of Tom Hoagie at 30 to one, uh, I think you'll you'll find that you would like a very similar profile here in Mark Hubbard, but he rates inside the top 50 um, in good drive percentage rates inside the top 50 in fair percentage. He's a top five iron player on the PJ Tour or in this field, I should say. Gained 6.7 shots on approach last week at the Sanderson Farms. Uh, when you look past at his Shriners, history um he's gained strokes and approach in four of his last five starts here so he long term is a really really good kind of short short iron player and wedge player he's coming off again just like hoagie a really really good uh spell with his irons um in jackson so again you're kind of riding the hot hand in the right ways um whereas i i don't really trust maybe the sustainability of a guy like cam davis i, I kind of do trust uh hubbard to um <clears throat> to carry forward that momentum he actually um Finished that um, Sanderson Farms Championship with a five under 67. Uh, gained 4.43 shots on approaching that single day on Sunday. It was just one shot away from that playoff. So, um, again, guy that's coming in with a lot of momentum, 50 to 1. 
Um, I do like Hubbard uh, this week as well. Davis Thompson, I do like as well. He's a guy that maybe I would lead more towards a prop play than anything else, but um, there's a lot of upside in the former Georgia product. He's a guy that has come runner up at a concourse of mine at, at, at the, uh, the Amex, the American Express in Palm Springs, just gained 7.2 shots, ball striking the Sanderson Farms, 4.5 at the Fortinet. So he's kind of starting the uh, the swing season, I think, on a, on a really, really nice note, coming 30th and 16th in those two starts. Um, he's showing some some signs of life. Uh, past that, kind of into the 100 and beyond range, I have two names that I like. I like uh, Troy Merritt for the second straight week, who came sixth, again, or I think he came ninth, actually. He came ninth at the uh, Sanderson Farms, just two shots out of that playoff, like I mentioned earlier. Um Again, I talked about him a lot on last week's in last week's article for Rotoballer. He was my 125 to one long shot. You can still find him at 100 to one this week, um, but he's come ninth and seventh in his first two starts um, of the swing season. He is a super reliable driver of the golf ball. Has gained 3.8 and 2.8 strokes off the tee in his first two starts. Um, he's really spiked on approach multiple times, kind of down the stretch of 2023. Um, on four separate occasions, he's gained more than three and a half shots on approach dating back to the Travelers in late June. And really the one thing that was holding him back kind of from the breakthrough in 2023 when he found his ball striking was a really, really bulky putter. He he actually talked pretty publicly about, about having the putting yips. Um, you know, he he fell from, I think, 45th in strokes game putting in 2022 down to like 183rd in 2023. It was, it was the biggest single drop of any player uh, on the entire PGA Tour in a single season that year. But over the first two starts of 2023 – of the fall swing that is uh, he's gained 1.4 and then 6.6 strokes putting at in Napa and in uh, a Jackson. So it feels like he's definitely turned the corner with a putter. The TD green game in general is pretty damn good. He's actually one of just two players in this field to write inside the top 15 and all three of my TD green metrics, which is strokes gain off the tee, strokes gain approach and strokes gain around the greens. Um, so it feels like we're getting a bit of a, again, a, a bit of a price break on a guy that seems to be playing some really good golf right now and similarly strength fields. 100 to 1. I expected him to be kind of 70, 80 to 1 personally when, when kind of odds open. So it's nice to see him uh, still in the triple digits. And then finally, I'll go with um, my final, I guess, lean of the, of the podcast, Eric Van Royen, um, who you can find at 100 to 1, 125 to 1 in some spots. Um, but he, <clears throat> again, kind of post 2023 season, he missed the playoffs. Pretty disappointing season for Van Royen um, in terms of the PJ Tour in 2023. But went over to Europe. Finished T8, T16, and two starts at the Omega European Masters in the Irish Open, and then came T30, T16, and two starts to start the swing season here in 2024. Um, gaining strokes on approach in each of those two starts, he gained over five shots on approach in Jackson, 5.2 at the Fortinet, um, and gained four and 3.9 respectively in the Irish Open and the European Masters. So um, it's pretty rare to find that kind of ball striking upside this far down the board. Uh, Van Royen's a guy that was one of the hotter prospects coming out of Europe, maybe just a few years ago. Um, one of the better ball strikers. Um, and it, it feels like he's, he's kind of finding his stride again, kind of to start 2024. So I do like Van Royen. The only problem with Van Royen is a similar problem that I had with um, like Eric Cole in that, like it, when things go bad for Van Royen off the tee, they tend to go like really bad. So um, it's one of those things where, maybe he's a better first round leader play because over the course of four days, like you kind of almost expect the driver to go wayward at some point during the rounds. Uh, he has gained strokes and approach in five of his last six starts. So he is driving the ball distinctly better than, than Eric Cole is, but just historically, um, you know, golf courses that are typically pretty penal off the tee aren't exactly Van Royen's bread and butter. So um, yeah, those would be my, my initial leans. Like I said, the shortlist is actually quite narrowed down at this point. I, I don't have like a large volume of guys that I really want to bet. It's just a matter of kind of sorting out the top. Uh, if I want to go with Tom Kim or if I want to start my card at, at 30 to one with Shank, Cole Poston, et cetera. So um, yeah, man, unless, uh, unless you have anything else is, in terms of questions on players um, that pretty much wraps up my thought process in terms of guys that can actually make the betting card. Um, I do like guys like Doug Gim, Christian Bezaden Hoots in terms of prop plays. Um I don't mind, excuse me, I don't mind, um, like I already mentioned, Davis Thompson. So there are, there are guys that I, I don't mind deploying in like a top 20 cents. But, um, yeah, in terms of outrights, I think we've deep dived pretty much everyone I have major interest in. Yeah, and I 
now I certainly see why you're having trouble because I was just trying to allocate myself of what I thought based on kind of what we talked about tonight. And yeah, I can see where the pickle comes into play. But um, my best guess of what Ian is going to do, maybe based on the arguments that he presented tonight, would be Tom Kim at 12 to 1 for nine and a quarter unit, JT Poston at 30 to 1 for three and three quarters units three and three quarter units, Aaron Rye at 70 to one at one and three quarter units. And then one of those guys at hundred to one, maybe EVR yeah. uh, for one and two quarters, that would bring you to the 18 units to win one twelve. So that's my best guess. Uh, obviously Ian has a, a myriad of different ways that he could go here with other guys being mentioned. Um, you know, we talked about Adam shaking Aaron Cole quite a bit, um, a little bit of maybe potential for Vincent Norman there. Um you know, Davis Thompson, Mark Hubbard, Aaron Rye, lots of names here. So, yeah, um, yeah interesting week. Should be fun. And like you said, a good week to uh, to rebound and get back on track. So, uh, yeah, Ian, I'll throw it back to you for any any closing thoughts here. Yeah, no, that was a pretty good synopsis of what I'd probably end up going to do. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't know what the buy point is on Tom Kim. Like, I – I feel like we're kind of right at a fair number. Um, I feel like if it was, you know, if it was 14, it would probably already be clicked. So, um, yeah, I think at this point, you're probably right. We probably go with, with Tom and then one of the guys at 30 um, and then kind of dip down from, from there. So, um, yeah, like I said, it, it's, it's a pretty easy handicap in terms of courses. But, you know, with that comes a lot of guys that, uh, you know, I think can potentially win here. Um, so yeah, at, at the end of the day, I, I, it's one of those golf courses, TPC Summerlin, where I do feel like I have a pretty good sense on the field. So, um, you know, you just kind of fire barrels, uh, where you can, you accept what happens and, uh, you know, we'll reassess next week, but hopefully, uh, we can land on the right names and, uh, and cast the first ticket of the 2024 season, but, Absolutely. uh, let's do it in, uh, in Sin City. Uh, both of them, actually let's do it let's both do it in sin city as the, we will be shortly talking about the race as well so um yeah not a better week to hit the fhp double than the week that they're in las vegas so that'll be it guys and we will uh, obviously catch you guys next week and hopefully very much on the happy side of th- the green side of things we'll put it that way see you guys <laughs>